Hot Springs Village Inside Out is a closer look at the greatness of Hot Springs Village, Arkansas and the surrounding areas, people, places, experiences. Hot Springs Village is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host, Dennis Simpson, as we engage in weekly conversations to explore Hot Springs Village Inside Out. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas's favorite radio station, KVRE. Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live, kvre.com. Remax of Hot Springs Village. The award-winning Remax of Hot Springs Village is the largest real estate office inside the village with over 30 full-time agents and support staff. Visit them to learn more about this beautiful place to solve your real estate needs. Call them today at 1-800-364-9007. Find them online at explorehsv.com. They are Remax of Hot Springs Village at 1-800-364-9007 or online at explorehsv.com. Ike Eisenhower State Farm. Ike and his award-winning team have been serving the insurance needs of folks all around Hot Springs Village since 1998. Ike has qualified for State Farm's President's Club, Chairman's Circle, and Hot Springs Village Insurance Agent of the Year. Call Ike Eisenhower State Farm today at 501-984-4100. That's 501-984-4100. Find them online at IkeEisenhower.net. Call them today for all your insurance needs because, like a good neighbor, Ike Eisenhower State Farm is there. Well, today we're back with Mr. John Berry, who's going to be doing a concert for the Lifelong Learning Institute. That's HSVLLI.org. But... What you want to do is go buy some tickets to see Mr. John Barry. And John, I don't know if you noticed, I uh, <clears throat> I am correctly adorned today uh, for this is a a night of love is the name of the concert. Did I did I wear the right jacket or no? Pretty snazzy there, man. <laughs> Pretty snazzy. I got a Manuel jacket that looks a lot like that actually. You should have wore yours, this sweatshirt thing. I don't know. Had I had I known. Had you only Had known. known. Had you only if known. I'd only known you were gonna you're gonna spice this thing up and make it shine. I I'd have worn my men well. Had I only known, I would have said something to you about it. You know, how about that? I'll tell you <laughs> what, let me ask what what are we gonna be hearing? Uh and, and let me pull this up as we're talking here. What what are we gonna be hearing? What kind of songs? And uh this is right after Valentine's Day, so it's February the 16th. But what are we gonna be hearing? Yep. Well, we've got some songs that you know that I've done over the years. Songs like "Your Love Amazes Me" and "Kiss Me in the Car" and "She's Taking a Shine." All these songs that talk about how love fixes our hearts and changes us and everything else, and sends us off on wild goose chases and everything else. Seems to do that. So we're a, uh, a logical, linear man or woman will go off the rails just to find love, won't they? Off the rails. That's what our souls Yeah, I like that. Tell me about your history. I mean, how did you get started? What I mean, Grammy Award winning. Tell me the story. Well, I started playing guitar when I was a kid, you know, 12 years old. And, uh, somehow just got hooked into it and you know applause is a drug and you get you get 
you want more of it, you know. And uh, then I started um, making records. I started recording. My dad, he knew how much I loved doing it. When I was uh, like 15, 16 years old, I guess, 17 years old, we, we started building a little music room in the basement of my house where my folks lived. And, and when I was 19, we turned it into a little four-channel, four-track recording studio. Did it say Fostex on any of the equipment? No, it was TAC Tascam. Oh, the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we built a little studio. And I recorded my first, I recorded four albums, 10 songs each in that little studio. Really? And uh, I hope you never hear them because they're horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, you think that, I'm joking? No, that that's the criticism of history. If 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 you had never done them before, you'd go, "Wow, these are great." And at the time, you probably thought they were great, but now you look back. I, and thought, go, they were, I thought they were masterpieces. <laughs> well, I thought they were. the world, the world would be changed because of them. But I was wrong. They no. weren't masterpieces, and the world wasn't changed. <laughs> but. Um, but we recorded those four albums there, and then I recorded my next two albums in different studios outside of that. And um, then in 1992, I had done six albums at that point, I think. Let's see, four. Let's see, well, I guess we did. Oh, yeah, I ended up doing six albums independent. And then in 1992, I was my I was playing clubs in Athens, Georgia, and making a great living doing that. And it had, I hadn't really hadn't ever thought about getting a record deal. hadn't hadn't been on my radar really. Hmm. I was perfectly happy. I was, by that time, I was playing maybe two nights a week in Athens. Um, we had us a little farm north of town that was paid for. Uh, had a little RV we traveled in and a truck for gear and we would play Athens on the weekends. Then we'd, what we called, we'd, we'd take Athens as our hub and we'd take the spokes out to go to Augusta, Georgia, to go, go to Alabama or wherever it was, take the spokes out and always go back to the hub on the weekend, you know. And um, we were doing fine. Now, let, let me ask real and, quick, because and, and we're going to get to the great stuff here. I mean, you, this is amazing. But, you know, I heard groups like Kansas and others talk about the exact same thing, that they would they would be in a central location. It wasn't necessarily the world's greatest location, but it was equidistant to a lot of other places. And sure. and you say, I mean, it sounds like you were very, very comfortable at that time. And I mean, had a had a farm paid for and. It what you know, a lot of people are looking for fame, glory, money, want to pick one of those. And and you were it sounds like you were really comfortable and and let's face it, making records is not always money, but it can be fame, right? It can be, yeah. Um, it it can it can raise your profile and that sort of thing, garner you some attention, and of course, music business is all about attention. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how much attention can you get from your management company? How much attention can you get from your label? From radio, from the public, it's all well, about attention. You know? Well, let me ask. So you were saying you were making a good living there, and 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 Decatur and areas around that. I mean, 
is has that changed these days? Is it are are would you be able to do that? What you're doing today? I mean, would, I'm sorry. Would you be able to do that today? Do the venues pay as well as they used to, or no? Oh, I don't. I, we um, I played for the door. Really? That was my. Yeah, I played for the door. You must have been bringing them in, though, buddy. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the and and the and the the restaurant and bar owners love seeing you walk in the door, right? Well, I don't know about that. I don't know if they love seeing me there or they put up with me being there, one or the other. <laughs> they sold lots but, of food and drink. Yeah. Man, we had a lot of fun. And uh but I was driving home late one night and I don't know, two o'clock in the morning. And we lived at our, our farm was about 18 miles out of town. So it was a little bit of a you know, 25 minute drive out. Mm-hmm. And I was driving down the road and listened to the radio and the DJ came on and said, turn it up, turn it up. We got a brand new song from Joe Diffie. And he plays ship, a song called ships that don't come in. Oh, I love that song. Oh man. He got to the line. He sang, and to those who stand on empty shores and spit against the wind, and those who wait forever for ships that don't come in hit me like a freight train. Because I, I could remember, well, I got home, I had tears in my eyes. And got home. I've teared up more than once over that song, too. That was a world-class song. Yeah, world-class. I woke my wife up, and I told her about this song of Joe's I'd heard, and I said, you know, I appreciate the living I'm making, but I've dreamed bigger. And we sat up, and we came up with a plan to go to Nashville every six weeks for a year. We'd go up and do one of these industry showcases. Yeah. And then we'd wait two weeks to hear. Then we'd organize another one, send out invitations, do it again every six weeks. We'd do that for a year and see if we could garner some attention. Once again, it's attention business. Yeah, but what a great, we, I mean, we, but how methodical and linear. You didn't say, oh, we're just going to move there. And and if it doesn't work, you were like, okay, every six weeks, and we're going to do that for a year. And we're, I mean, this is a very, this yeah. is a business plan. And if we, and if, it, if it didn't happen, if nothing happened in the, in the year's time, then we would, uh, we'd punt. We'd, we'd make Athens our, for sure, permanent home and, we, we we probably would have opened our, our own place, you know, and uh, but um, we did that. We we booked our first one. We we did Douglas Corner. It's a great little listening room in in Nashville, uh, kind of off the off the beaten path, but it's well known amongst the industry people. And uh, we sent out two hundred and fifty invitations. And that, and my phone number was on there, and all the information about how to get a hold of me, and and um, a guy named Herky Williams called me up that day, the day of the showcase, and um, wanted to go to lunch before we before the showcase, and I said sure, and so we we got together. He worked with Jimmy Bowen, who was the president of Capitol Records, and he kind of was very involved with running the publishing arm of Jimmy's business. And um, he had heard about me. Herky had heard about me from his sister who went to University of Georgia. And he had been in Athens 
to hear a band called the Normal Town Flyers, a great band, local band, fabulous band. And he came by to see them, and he'd heard of me from his sister. And while he was in town to see the Flyers, he came by to see me twice that night. And there was a line down the street, couldn't get in. So it kind of piqued his interest. And um, so when he got that invitation from me, he was all about it. He was anxious to come see us. So we, we went and had a bite to eat and stuff, and then we did the showcase that evening at Douglas Corner. We sent out those 250 invitations, like I said, and uh, he was the only one who showed up. Well, 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 no, no, no. Let me let me back up here because I didn't know about these showcases. Number one, you sent out 250 invites, and you're saying to record executives and movers and shakers, and then the showcase is just, is it six songs? Is it an hour? What do you, what do, you do? You do whatever you want to do. It's, it's a club, you know. You you use hour, hour and a half set, whatever you want to do. Okay. I don't. I don't remember what we did. I guess we probably did a little over an hour. So it's not set aside just for you that night or for your guests that night. I mean, it's it's an no, open, open bar. It's, it's an open club. Yeah, open yeah. bar, open club, and the only and and would, do they call these guys A and R? Is that what they call them? Yeah, A and R guys. Yeah. Yeah, and is that that the gentleman you were talking about? He was an A and R guy, or he just. Well, he 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 did A and R sort of on the side. I'm not sure exactly what his, his legal description was, if he had one. Yeah. But he would he would find songs and pair them with artists. Herky's got a great ear for hearing this song and this voice singing this song. Really, he's, he's got that talent. Yeah, he's really really good. He's a real good song guy. And as is Bowen and. Um, and he he just worked with Jimmy, and mainly they played golf together. But <laughs> they a lot of music business too. Well, and, so, uh, so you played just a few songs. You played Raider set. Yeah, we played our set, and then afterward, and of course, you know, of that list of two hundred and fifty people, he's the only one who showed up. There were some other people we knew there, uh, the locals that just would come there. Uh, there were a few folks from Athens that had migrated into Athens to Nashville who came to see us, you know? So there were some people to sing for. It wasn't like it was an empty room, but yeah. of that list of industry professionals, there were one guy. Wow. And, um, and you knew the one guy, cool. you already had lunch with him. <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing about that was that I sounded the same there as when I played in, in Athens. So that was good. I was kind of concerned. I didn't know if I sound the same there as I did. Yeah. And uh, so afterwards we went and got a bite to eat and with Herky and, and all that. And then the next morning he calls me up. He says, Hey, Jimmy wants to have, have you come over for brunch. I said, dude, we're already back home in Athens. So we left that night. After and uh, we don't want to get too far from the hub and stay gone too long. And uh, so they, so they ended up setting up a, a, a private showcase at one of the uh, production studios, you know, the rehearsal facilities. And uh, me and the guys went up and did a showcase for Bowen and, um, the head of uh, CAA booking agency was there and David Corlew and Tom O'Grady, Corlew O'Grady management, they came and with, uh, with Herky's invitation and um, played six songs with me in the van. And after we got done, Bowen came up and he shook my hand, thanked me for coming. And we talked for a few minutes and, he said, well, son, I guess you came here looking for a record deal, didn't you? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, uh, Corlew, you want to represent him? And Corlew looked at me, and I looked at him. I said, I'm in if you are. 
And uh, so he said, okay, Corlew, call me tomorrow. Let's put this deal together. And with that, he whisked out of the room, and I had a record deal. Unbelievable. And And don't give me – And what I didn't realize is at that time, we were spaghetti. There was a lot of spaghetti being thrown up against the wall and see who'd stick and who didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, labels were doing that all day long. They were blowing through money, cutting cutting records, which were really demos to see if this was going to work or not. Yeah. And um, my first single came out and died at 38, 36. She's got a mind of her own. Second single came out, uh, Kiss Me in the Car. Uh, it died on the chart at 13. It got it hit Christmas. It hit the Christmas crunch. And if it's not a smoking hit record after Christmas, it's going to come off the chart. Really, and but everybody thinks it's the number one record because the I mean, the response I get from it's like, wow, I love that song, you know. But that's what it was when it went to thirteen, got some made, you know, almost top ten. But um, then uh, your love amazes me came out, and if your love amazes me hadn't hit, I'd probably been that probably they cut me loose after that. Really, and uh, but it it uh, it started inching up the charts, and uh, they had country radio seminar that that spring March of of 94 and um i wasn't feeling real well i was not eating a lot i had headache bad headaches and i can remember being at country radio seminar that week and um it was kind of odd i felt really odd and then i played at the new faces showcase and I, uh, faith hill sang at that tim mcgraw sang at that I uh, can't remember. There's a couple of other artists or, that were spaghetti that did not stick were on that. Um, I did Kiss Me in the Car and something else. And I closed with Your Love Amazes Me with just my guitar. The band left the stage and I was doing them. And it place came unglued. And that was the beginning of that song, smoking on up the charts. And uh, it was number one record on May 10th of 1994 on R&R. And I had brain surgery that morning. And no. uh, I don't recommend that, but it's a tough way to get a record, but and get a number one. But a guy's so, got to do what a guy's got to do. So you're referring you, you you just for those of you who go to a uh, a private engagement like this, do a private concert, get a a, a a record deal, get it booked, gets thrown on the wall as spaghetti, as you say, and then uh, have brain surgery the day that it tops the chart. That, so you don't recommend that. The, you don't recommend the brain surgery or the top in the chart thing. Brain surgery, I, yeah. Unless you really need it, which a lot of folks do. And uh, man, I had a keloid had a keloid cyst in the third ventricle of my brain. It's about about the end. A little blister about that big, about the size of the end of your finger. But enough to make and you was miserable. Different. Well, it was in such a place that it's, it blocked the drainage of brain fluid, the protective fluid around the brain, that it continues to develop all the time and mm-hmm. renew and refresh. Mm-hmm. And the excess drains down the spinal column into the body. Mm-hmm. Mine it, didn't drain out. It just it, kept building up. Yeah. And if it doesn't drain down that, yeah. Yeah. This builds up fluid and expands and infants. It, it, it because the skull's not developed, the head starts to expand. And hydrocephalitis. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. Hydrocephalitis. Yeah. yeah. And but with me, it caused extreme headaches, loss of appetite, change of personality. 
Wow. My, my, see, and, the reason um, I know is because my dad had an instance with this too. So I'm familiar oh, really? exactly with what you're, no, no, he didn't have to have surgery for it. Good Lord. But oh, man, really? wow. uh, yeah, they I, went in, they drilled two holes. I put a cage on my head, bolted it to my head, which I can still feel on this side pretty regularly. I can feel with it bolted in right here and uh, a little bit on this side, but mainly this side. And these two up here don't bother me. Um, they drilled two holes right here and right here. Went in with a fiber optic camera and a laser beam and located it, plotted a course to it, and zapped a hole in it. And uh, all the fluid drained out, and I woke up, and I was me again with a very bad short-term memory, <laughs> which I still have. <laughs> still tough. But, uh, and uh, so I, my, my wife went being... Uh, my son, Sean, was born April 28th of 94. Right. This was on May 10th of 94. And I had become a very different person. Um, she was pretty much, I didn't talk to her for weeks and weeks on end. The last trimester of her pregnancy. Oh. Didn't want anything to do with her. Um, I was very cruel. Oh, and uh, very mean. And uh, uh, probably people around that time, I was, my song was climbing the chart. uh Probably came across, across as very aloof and, you know, but it's uh, mainly most of us just, I didn't want to talk to anybody because I felt so bad. Man. And I, I went down to 137 pounds. Wow. Because I quit, quit eating. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, so. Um, well, health is a delicate balance. Oh, yeah. You know, so. I mean, it, and if you, if you don't have it, I don't have to explain that to you. If you have it, ah. Yeah, it's okay. If you if you haven't had it, but so my wife went being from from pretty much being abandoned to having to be my nurse. And uh, well, I so, mean, after the surgery, how long did it take I, for your personality to reoccur? Uh, when I woke up, really? When I woke up, I was me again. I bet she was relieved, huh? I mean, she didn't know what was going to happen. No, she no, she had no idea, and. It, she wasn't relieved. She was um, doubtful. I, I can imagine why. Couldn't you? Yeah. So how, how long? How long had y'all been together before that, John? Um. Let's see. Six years. Really. So, so, so I mean, yeah. she had a good feel for your personality, who you were, what you were like, and then you just changed. Yeah. Wow. Completely. Wow. 180. So, so give me, give me, we've had the five mile high view. And if you don't mind, yeah. give me the 500 feet high. Your love amazes me went from, Hey, that's a great song to my personality changes. So I'm back and your love still amazes me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's when I sing that song, I, I have to think about her that, her love does amaze me, amaze me because she held through. She held on somehow through all that, and uh, uh, it was pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, so. and, and it's certain types of people that see that. Let's just get through this. Let's go through this. I have faith he'll be who he was when he comes back. I hope. Knock wood, you know. I, and I'm I'm sure that was yeah. a low point. Yeah, it was pretty tough. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Best of times, worst of times, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it so, was mainly, mainly the worst. 
It was mainly the worst of times. No, oh, man. So, and then no reoccurrences since everything's been, been okay. No, um, I've been for, no, I've, I've been for checkups, went for checkups for years. And then I went to, I had some headaches. I was actually back home in Athens, Georgia, and it was just happening. Just a weird headache. And I went and had a checkup and, and they decided to do a, a, a CAT scan. And, um, uh, the technician, we got it done. He said, looks like you have a keloid cyst. And I said, no, I had a keloid <laughs> cyst back in 1994. And he said, mm, no, it looks like you've got a keloid cyst. And uh, so I got an appointment to see a neurologist here in Nashville. And they verified I do have a keloid cyst. It is back. It is there. But like she said, she said it took... 35 years to develop last time. Yeah. She said, we're just going to do a check. We're just going to keep a watch on it every you know, five years and see if it grows. And she said, we know exactly how big it is right now. We'll do a checkup in five years and see if it's developed anymore. In the meantime, if you start having some extreme headaches, loss of appetite and change of personality, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I, I've, I, I know this drill. I've seen this routine. I'm there. I've got it. I've got yeah. it. As a as a as a yeah. doctor told my mom, who was seventy five and divide, had a, a, a cancer on her kidney, and she's a very thin lady, and you could actually palpate it, and you could feel the tumor on her kidney. And as he took the tumor out and as he explained it to her, he said, "You're going to die of something, but it won't be this." <laughs> it took yeah. it's taken seventy five years for it to develop. You're probably not going to live to one hundred and fifty. You'll probably be okay. You know that kind of thing. Well, yeah. I, on on yeah. behalf of my wife, I know, I know what I have to ask now. Tell me about a long-haired country boy. Oh, man. Oh, man. She's, I yeah, can't man. wait for this story. And I, people, the, the, those of you who watch every week, I have no idea. I don't know the story, but I'm dying to hear. Working with Charlie Daniels has had got to be one of the highlights of your life. Well, David Corlew has been with he started working with charlie daniels as charlie's t-shirt sales guy and then end up ended up being his manager and then they formed corlew o'grady management with tom o'grady and um that's who i that's that, that david signed me to be management and they came to that showcase i did for jimmy bowen and oh and uh so i signed him. so i got to um to meet Charlie and get to know him a little and, and, uh, just a terrific guy. And, um, we were, they were doing something and had some plans being made and they were doing some recuts on some of Charlie's songs. You know, he has a great little recording studio out at, at Twin Pines farm. Mm -hmm. And, um, they did all of his records out there and, uh, in recent years. And they, uh, he said, he said, uh, he said, son, hey, son, son, how about coming and singing with me and how catch him? We'll do long. We're going to do a remake of Long Hair Country Boy. And that'd be a lot of fun to have, have you join me and Hal. So I thought that was a real treat. So uh, we did We shot it out there in, in the studio, recorded it at the studio there. And and then uh, shot the video at, at the farm there on the porch and, 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 and in the studio as well. And we had a lot of fun. It was a, it was a great day. And, it looks the video. I watched the video not too long back, and it looks like we're having a lot of fun because we were. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, a real treat 
to, to hang out with both of those men. I mean, and of course now they're both gone, which is yeah. so sad well, to me, but Charlie passed a year. Or but so we have ago. a, pod- we have a podcast, faith, family, and friends that's it's on hiatus this year. We're going to hopefully pick it back up at the end of this year and get it going. My wife and I do it. And it's basically, we talk with artists about how their faith, their family and their friends have influenced their lives and their careers. And we, we did Charlie Daniels and he died four days later. Oh, well, I was going to say he passed from COVID or during the COVID era. Uh, and he died it was during the COVID days. era. It was not COVID, but, um, yeah. but he, um, he talked about being in heaven four times in the first 19 minutes. Really? Something he had been given some thought to. Yeah. Yeah. First thing, man, there's this thing he talks about. He said, the first thing I'm going to do when I'm in heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is is I'm going to touch everybody's face. I'm going to go visit all those souls that I've missed so much of my life that have been gone. I'm going to go touch everybody's face. Sweet. I got chills. (laughs) I bet. I bet. Yeah. I'll tell you what, let, let, let's let's spin just for a second. Where can we find it? I mean, I mean, I'm assuming the old episodes, Faith, Family, and Friends. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a it was a subscription podcast. But what we're what we're trying to gear it up for this year is to open it up as a, because we closed it, put it on hiatus for a, a year, and we're going to put it back out as a free podcast. So we're going to start recording episodes, hopefully. Um, later this year and build up our uh our catalog yeah. and so we'll take the old podcast because we originally because there are there is discussion about covid and the lockdown matter of fact, the first the very first episode we're talking about it it's the, i was listening to it the other day and and you hear me say i've been in the house for two weeks two weeks i've been in this house <laughs> and here here we are two years later yeah you know? yeah and um it's crazy. So we're thinking about editing all that out. And then I'm thinking, no, we can't because we need to remember what it was like. And, and, and cause we talk about COVID and, and, and the effects it had and, and it was having at the time. And, uh, just need to, I think people will hear it in order to remind them what it was like, you know, cause it's weird time. So. I saw an, I saw an article the other day. It talked about what we did before digital photography, and I thought, okay, <laughs> well, you know, think about that, you know. And I thought, what's the deal? And they had a picture. Uh, they had an old um, Polaroid ish. You remember how the photos used to be square? They were like three by three. Remember that? Right. And yeah. uh, they had a photo of Dolly Parton in a little dress, and she was between twelve and fourteen. It was foggy. It was underexposed. It was gray. It wasn't that great a photo, but it was a photo. And it was a time marker of a huge, huge, huge person and a huge personality. And, you know, the the article goes on to mention it. It talks about, you know, would you rather have not had this instant captured? Because if it was a digital photography, we might have just deleted that photo and not thought anything about it. Never had a copy of it. But nowadays, right. and, and you know, I, I'm with you. I recorded during the COVID period, too. And we're like, well, I'd like to kind of cut some of that out. And no, it was it was intrinsic to what was going on. Right. You you couldn't understand yeah. that time unless you understood what was happening with COVID. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't 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 edit the picture. <laughs> you know, let, let, let the picture speak for itself. And 
And the same thing, that's what we're going to uh, reissue the, the podcast, make it a public podcast, and, and as it was. And uh, um, so it'll be interesting to see how people respond to it. But it was it's fun. We just, it's just me. And, it started off with just me and my wife sitting at, at the old kitchen table that's upstairs in our, our family room now and, and uh, just sit chatting about what's going on with our lives. And then we started inviting friends to join us at that time via um, telephone. Oh, really? And then we started having people come here and and uh, come to our home and visit with us and and um, and when we could we would have artists with their spouses so which oh, was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, and I, I'm going to guess and we're going to find more about this. Hang on, we're going to find more about this after we buy tickets at hsvticketsales.com. That's ticketsales plural dot com, and we're going to buy tickets for February the sixteenth with Mr. John Barry. <laughs> And I, oh goodness, I've got to check real quick here. Hang on. I had that. And it's at the Coronado Center. I'm trying to see here. Uh, general admission, they're $35 for one ticket uh, at the Woodlands, at the Woodlands. Great location. You will love that facility. Uh, but what other songs do you think we would hear that night? Oh, we'll do any of the songs that we played on the radio and. Uh, anything, any of the songs we had, uh, Stand on the Edge of Goodbye, Kiss Me in the Car, Your Love Amazed Me, You and Only You. Um, we've got a, a couple of albums that we've had released over the past few years that people may not know the songs, but uh, I think they're going to like them. We, we did an al- I did an album called What I Love the Most, which is 10 songs about my wife. And uh, <laughs> But there's a couple of songs on that record. We're going to do a song called What a Woman Wants. Oh. That my wife is my, it's my favorite song that, my, that I've written. That my wife, my wife's favorite song that I've written. Um, she always tells the audience, she says, "Guys, take notes. <laughs> take notes on this song right here." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then there's a, a, a sweet song that I wrote for her off that record called uh, um, uh, "It's Not What a Woman Wants." This other one, um, there could never be another love for me but you, and. Um, I, I tell the guys, I said, if you ever want to write your wife a song, take some ideas from this one. Don't steal my song, but take some ideas from this one. And there's probably some sugar in your future. There may be some sugar just in saying, your future. I like that. I'm just I like saying, that. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like a guy like myself that overmarried significantly, but that's just my opinion. Is that, my, is yeah. that the right the ballpark? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure I, I overmarried. I married up. Married up. <laughs> well, tell me this. What? And, and I've got, I literally have a million questions, but I want to be considerate of your time. I know we need to wind down here real quick, but t- I was going to say, what does it take to write a great, write a great song? And it takes great motivation. Is that it? A mo- some, uh, like for an example with your wife, I mean, it's easy to write about something you're nuts about, right? Yeah. It, it, it's just a matter of inspiration and the right environment and, for me, the right people to write with. I'm not a, a good solo writer. I've written a lot of songs by myself, and they pretty much suck. And uh, so I've been, I mean, I've got albums and albums of early records of horrible songs. And that could have been good if I had a good writer, co-writer, somebody who knew what they were doing. And um, I, matter of fact, I even thought about going back here at the latter part of my career and maybe re-recording those songs, do the songwriter version albums. And I listen to them. I go, no, they're horrible. Why would I want anybody to hear these? So, so I'm just going to uh, let them go to their quiet little song to their, grave. To their quiet resting place, right? Yeah, quiet resting place and never be heard. 
Well, so I, I joke because there's some people that um, we, we actually found a box of my first album, Humble Beginnings. I don't know if you can see a white cover back here. Yeah, but, sure. uh, that's my first album came out in 1979. And uh, we found a box of them unopened. So we ended up having them available at our, our store, that one, and another one called Waiting for You, which is my third. We found a half a box of those, and people purchased them. <laughs> I jokingly put a disclaimer in there and said that you, you in purchasing this album, you refused to listen to it just to have it as a, a memento. <laughs> I think it was uh, I think it was Jerry Sally and him and the trio that came through here the other day and he made note if you bought one of their CDs and you didn't like it and you sent it back they would send you a CD they didn't like too just to just to make it even. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jerry, he's a good guy. <clears throat> he is a great guy. We uh, uh, and once again let me tie this back into Larry Wilson the Lifelong Learning Institute which is hsvlli.org which is putting on this concert on the on the 16th. Uh, Larry has introduced us to some fantastic people and Jerry's one of them. I consider him a great yeah. friend. Now he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, I want to go back one last question. I'll ask the question. I promise I'll shut up and then we'll be done. I want to no. hear how you <laughs> met your wife. Oh, wow. How about that? First um, story? My, it was, uh, it was uh spring of 84, I guess. I, I want to say it's 84. Um, my bass player, Michael, who is still playing bass with me, um, we're playing at a little club in Athens, Georgia called Rappers. Um, not like in rap music, you know, because there, there wasn't rap music in 1984. It was called Rappers because it was in the basement of the old Davison's building, downtown Athens, where the gift wrapping department was. So they called it Rappers horrible name it says since closed and it be, and and it, it became a strip club so we, we jokingly called it unwrappers <laughs> we won't go there um but, but so michael and i were playing this little club and we ended up playing that club for two two years um i got booked there for three weeks over a five-week period by the end of our second week playing there, they had booked us. This was in spring of 84. They booked us for the whole summer. By midsummer, they booked us for the entire next school year. So we had a good thing going. Mm -hmm. But my second week playing there, these two girls came in with their dates and sat at the table right in front of me. It's, a, it's like a brass and fern bar, you know? Remember those? A lot of brass rails and fern hanging, oh, and, you know? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of like oh, yeah, a yeah, Friday's yeah. Or, uh, uh, what they call it, antiqued bronze and, and everything. And there was a there was yeah. a ficus tree, a fake ficus tree in the corner, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh so we're playing this club, and these two girls and their dates sit at the table right in front of me. Right there. And I knew exactly what songs to to play to bore those two boys to death. So they go in the back and shoot pool. One of them girls was really cute. And they did. And I moved in and I sat down next to this pretty girl and I said, when are we getting married? First time you met her. First time I met her. Yeah. And she looked at me and she's like, you're talking to the hand. She had no way. She didn't want to talk to me. It took me two years to get a date. But 
She was funny though. I'd see her come in the club and 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 I didn't know it, but it was her mom that was with her. I knew it was an older lady. I didn't know it was her mom. Yeah. And uh, uh, so they would come. She'd bring her mom to see me play, and then before we got finished, they'd leave. You know, she didn't have to talk to me. So. <laughs> and uh, but, so, but she but, kept uh, coming back. If you make notes. Yeah. And then finally got a date, and then we, um, it was, uh, let me see, 1987, New Year's Eve, 87, 88. I went to the jewelry store and bought a little diamond ring, and I told the guy, uh, I asked him, if I buy this, if things don't work out, can I bring this back tomorrow? <laughs> he said, There's yeah, confidence, John. That's confidence, buddy. Oh, yeah. Well, I told her, I said, look, I'm really just trying to get her attention. That's really all I'm trying to do. Yeah. It's, it's an attention business, you know. And, and uh, so New Year's Eve, she cooked dinner for us at her mama's house, just for just two of us. And after dinner, uh, she could tell I was nervous about something. And she thought I was going to ask her just to be my girl. Us just to go steady. We'd spent all Christmas break together. She, because she was at college about 60 miles away. Yeah. She'd come home on the weekends sometimes and she really got tired of me. I was going to drive her crazy. She was actually coming home from college Christmas break to let me know we were done. She didn't want to see me anymore. And then we ended up spending every day hanging out and had a blast. So, and uh, and so New Year's Eve, I asked her to marry me, and she came unglued, and she, and and I got a big maybe. <laughs> she had to think about this. She wasn't expecting that. She said maybe, <laughs> and of course I did take the diamond back because it wasn't nearly big enough. So, uh, but we fixed that, and because uh, I didn't know what I was buying her, I've never bought a diamond ring for an engagement before, so I didn't know what I was looking at. So. Last time you did this was never. Yeah, and uh, so. We ended up getting engaged uh, that, I guess, by February, we were full on engaged. And then we got married in June. So uh, I'm sorry, July. Uh, so it was in July of 88. So the moral of the story here to find the right woman is persistence. That's what I heard, John. Persistence works for everything. <laughs> Even don't, in the music business. Don't quit. <laughs> don't quit. <laughs> John, I'm not enough. My friend, I will be there at 7.30. I'll be there probably 7 o'clock at the Woodlands, February the 16th, with my lovely wife, who I want to introduce you to. And, buddy, I'm really looking forward to it. It has been a delight. I look forward to being there, and uh, I'm excited to be there. I've heard so much about that area. My uh, my son, Sean, lives south of you. I guess it's pretty well south and southwest uh, in East Texas. They live near Tyler. Oh, gorgeous, uh, gorgeous. Longview, Tyler, that area. And his father-in-law, they love to come up to that area to vacation. Uh, the lake's up there, and and uh, he said there's some – What they? he said they call them cabins, and they're daggone mansions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But he said they, they always go up and rent a cabin on the lake and, and uh, have a great time, and they're going to – trying to get us to come up there and, and do this. So they're coming up from Texas to be with us. So it'll be fun to to see them and my, my son and his wife and our granddaughter, they're going to come. And so we'll get to see all of them on the 16th and that'd be fun. Well, but I've heard a lot about it here. Really beautiful. It, it really is. And one of the things that we comment here, we've got Airbnbs here on the lake. And one of our comments is we love seeing families make great memories. 
doesn't get any simpler yeah. or harder than that. That's as simple as it gets, right? I mean, yeah. and and hopefully you'll make a great great memory with your your sweetheart, wife, and or all the above, February the 16th, yeah. 7.30 at the Woodlands. John, great seeing you. I hope folks will come be with us. Promise. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks for watching and listening to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast starring Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com.